When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After I left my second band, I was thinking, well, now do I either focus on being an acoustic troubadour kind of person or do I go back to the electro? Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Live Through That, the podcast where influential artists of the 80s and 90s talk to us about a pivotal moment in their lives. I'm your host, Mike Hipple, and this week I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Stephen Duffy. Stephen was one of the founding members of a little band called Duran Duran. Maybe you've heard of them. He left to do his own thing when Simon Le Bon took over, and the rest is history for both Duran Duran and Stephen Duffy. Stephen had many twists and turns in his career and has a list of bands and accomplishments to go with it. He had a huge hit under the name Stephen Tintin Duffy with Kiss Me With Your Mouth. If you loved music in the 80s, every time this record came on at a school dance or the DJ spinned it at a club, there was a huge rush to the dance floor. But it's his band The Lilac Time that emerged in 1987 with their self-titled debut that has endured and blossomed. That first album featured the song Return to Yesterday, which to me is another perfect pop song. The Lilac Time are currently back with a fantastic new album, Dance Till All the Stars Come Down, that's available wherever you get your music. Being such a musician's musician, it's only natural that his pivotal moments are very musical in nature. Well, the first pivotal moment was when um, Twist and Shout came out, the Beatles EP, which I think was the Christmas of 1963, or that was at least when my brother, who was four years older than me and still is, so he was seven and he got that for Christmas. And I was three and I got like a a children's story or or something on on a single and I wanted to play my single, but everybody in the room, everybody at, at the Christmas gathering wanted to hear the Beatles. They all wanted to hear Twist and Shout, the Twist and Shout EP. And so, I mean, obviously this was something in retrospect that I realized was a massive moment in my life. Just that being in a group of people who were all excited to hear uh, music and then to actually hear what the music was and nobody wanting to listen to my children's story, that sort of catapulted me into uh, an understanding of popular music at three. It 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 took me years to realise that I was that young when I made that uh, understanding when I when I when I had that moment that has obviously led me to be a musician 
and uh, and and have never done anything else. I never wanted to do anything else either. The Beatles got Stephen on the road to a musical career, but it was discovering Nick Drake in 1985 that really solidified his musical direction. After the initial uh, understanding of pop music at a very early age and the enthusiasm for it, when I was nine uh, or ten, my brother, who was then 14, got into the Incredible String Band and my parents got us tickets to go and see them at Birmingham Town Hall. So I saw the original, the, the, the great four-piece lineup of Robin Williams and Mike Heron, Rose Simpson and Licorice. And, um, and obviously at nine or ten, that was equally mind-blowing because I, even though the Beatles had got sort of gone through their psychedelic phase, to actually see a band of four people playing the sitar and playing the gimbri and just picking up what seemed to be random instruments spread around the stage and to make this sort of magical um, music, that was, and it being completely acoustic, I mean, I, I have absolutely no idea how they did it because obviously I didn't have the, you know, the technical now i just think how on earth did they have all of these things mic'd up how did we even hear any of this uh but that was that was the the first time when i realized the power of live music and of course that the incredible string band where a witch season act uh produced by joe boyd and joe boyd on the uh recommendation of ashley hutchins of fairport convention who were also which he's in band uh, he signed Nick Drake and uh, so after being being in sort of post punk groups and uh, then having the electronic going through the electro thing and having the hit with kiss me when um Nick led clues from the dream academy actually put the the cassette player next to my head when we were on holiday and it was the river man and this was 1985 just to hear that acoustic guitar and those strings and those words just took me back to the incredible string band concert and took me back to my love of those which season bands and so that again was a that was a pivot as i suppose that we would call it now where i just, i did actually completely reject you know, the, the electro, the synthesizer, the drum machine, and went into, just went straight back to the acoustic guitar. For some reason, I'm almost embarrassed to ask about the Duran Duran connection, but it's kind of where everything started for Stephen. It also seems like kind of an early pivotal moment, so I need to ask about that time in his life, back when he met John Taylor and Nick Rhodes at art school in the late 70s. I went to art college, uh, Birmingham Polytechnic, and on the way there, I was walking behind these two guys, and one of them I recognised as the drummer of a band called TBI here, it, well, in Birmingham at the time, and the other um, was the was the guitarist from a band called Dada, and I knew that um, I knew the drummer was still playing in TBI, but I wondered what the other guy was up to. So on the second day at being at art college, I went over and introduced myself and said that I'd seen. Dada supporting the swell maps at the Crown, and we got talking. I said, "What are you doing? Are you still making music?" And he said, "Not at the moment." And I said, "I played the bass. You know, do you want to 
So we get together. So we got together, and that was that. And not much artwork got done at art college after that. We were doing everything from photography to sculpture, um, painting. You know, it was to to work out what we wanted to do in the future. And we worked out that what we wanted to do was was invent new romanticism. When John said to me, I think I know the name of the band. Did you see Barbarella's last night on the television? And I think he said, we should call it Durand Durand, which is the actual character in Barbarella's. And I either misheard him or they didn't have enough Ds in the printing place because I went off immediately and printed it because obviously, you know, we had printing equipment there at the art college. So I really should be getting a percentage of every time they use the name Duran Duran, I think. We were very, it was very experimental and the, and I kind of liked that. I liked the way that it was sort of, it didn't sound like anything else and it was sort of a bit shambolic and Nick had just got his first synthesizer. So there was a lot of whizzing and and notes going on a little bit too long, but they had you know, they they had ambition to be a, more like, I suppose, Japan or a group like that. And I just didn't see, I, I just couldn't see myself doing that. Obviously, after that, when, when I got back into making electronic music, I made a lot of records that were a lot worse than if, if I'd have stayed and kind of... And of course, now I think we should have stayed together because... The idea of them trying to be more commercial and me trying to be uncommercial, it would have been an amusing 18 months. And it would have been amusing to see who won or, or what became of it. But when you're 18, it, you know, you just, you don't, you don't really think about that kind of thing. After he left Duran Duran, Stephen didn't immediately go out and become the 80s Nick Drake. In fact, it was a bit of the opposite to some degree. Well, I think that also um, just trying to make records because because I wanted I wanted to make records, and uh, and those were the records I was allowed to make. You know what I mean? That nobody at that point was going to give me a deal to to make uh, a, a acoustic music because we kind of I kind of tried after the Durans. But it, it it really didn't get anywhere, and uh, and at that point, after I left my second band, I was thinking, well, now do I either focus on being an acoustic troubadour kind of person, or do I go back to the electro? And I just happened to to bump into an old friend who had just signed to Arista Records, and he had a band called Fashion, and he he had all of these new synths and drum machines, so we we went and made Kiss Me. And and that was that was that really. I was I I don't think I was very good at the electro thing. I think there, there was obviously you felt that my heart wasn't in it when you listen back to it now. I was trying my best, but it I just didn't I didn't have the feel for it. I I didn't have the feel for the uh, for the electro or for the um for 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 dance music as much as I did for the acoustic songwriting. But I, it's not not to say that I didn't enjoy it, and it was kind of it was interesting experimenting with all of that. 
stuff and uh, and also it got me it gave me a chance to go back to to think about motown and songwriting on on that sort of like baby love to kind of said so to think about that kind of music rather than just listening to bob dylan all the time I first heard Return to Yesterday and the rest of the debut Lilac Time album when it came out in 1987. Even though I had heard his electronic work, especially Kiss Me, I was at the time completely unaware that they were one and the same. Well, I did try my best to kind of shut the door on what went before um, to because I thought it would put people off. And I think that I think in a way it it has because, you know, when um, if I hadn't worked with all of the other people I've worked with and if I hadn't have done Kiss Me, then I think it would be easier for people to accept what is, uh, you know, with the Lilac Time and what is, you know, my true the, the soul and vocation, which is writing these songs. Um, but people just... You know, they get an idea of who you are, and and that's it. But there's no what's what's the phrase? There's no second chance at first impressions. And that is certainly something that I've uh, learnt. Stephen recorded multiple solo records, including Music and in Colors and I Love My Friends, and he also collaborated on a variety of projects throughout the '90s and in between Lilac Time records. But it seems he always comes back around to the Lilac Time. I didn't realize that, but it certainly has been, it's been, I mean, it's been more enduring than my solo work for me, uh, even though I love, I love my friends and some of the stuff on music in color, but the, I think all of my best songs uh, that I have sung have been for the Lilac time. Apart, yeah, there were some really good ones on I Love My Friends. But uh, but who at the time? I mean, who knew when we got back together? We it was wasn't even sure that we were going to be the Lilac Time. We talked about changing the name, uh, but the Lilac Time is the thing for me. And this record, the new record, is the kind of the purest Lilac Time in that there's no bass or drums. It's just you know acoustic guitar, mandolin, banjo, and Claire and I singing in in harmony over the top. So it's a very simple, uh, pure record. The new record is a gorgeous affair, quiet with a touch of American twang. I asked him about these influences. Well, we've always had, um, since we got back together, there's always been a pedal steel. Malvin Duffy played it, and now Ben Peeler, um, who's brilliant and, and put such a lot into this record. But the we tried... Uh, to be more like that in in our first incarnation, but the our A and R guy David Bates w was so against the pedal steel guitar that he, we actually had he actually had it mixed off um, one song, "The Girl Who Waves at Trains." So when we got back together, we just decided to to put to put as much pedal steel on as possible at, in retribution. I think that 
it's uh, certainly something I come back to more than anything else. I I do listen to more uh, country. Well, especially, yeah, I listen to all country up until about, I don't know, late 70s. And, but I listen to a lot of folk music, country music. Um, that is the, and blues, that's the stuff I go back to again and again. In, well, uh, recently, I, I've, I just went through the all of um, George Jones, Tammy Wynette, uh, but going back, I suppose what got me into it, what, what it was obviously uh, Nashville Skyline and the Birds when they did uh, Sweetheart's Rodeo and then Grand Parsons and everything that's kind of went out from there in that sort of early country rock thing um, that I suppose was what really turned me on to it. But at the time, you know, you, we had over here, I had absolutely no idea of the the depth of it. Thank you, Stephen, for taking the time to share these stories with us. The Lilac Times new record, Dance Till All the Stars Come Down, is out right now wherever you get your music from. Here's a snippet of a favorite track off the album, The Band That Nobody Knew. Just a programming note that we'll be off for a few weeks after this episode, getting together a new slate of some pretty cool episodes I have coming up for the fall. And a friendly reminder that you can also buy my book on 80s musicians and where they are today, 80s Redux, and its sequel on 90s artists, Live Through That, wherever you buy your books. And if you like this show, please subscribe so that you'll know when the latest episode comes out. And if you're so inclined, leave a good review, too. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 